Dude, how are you, man? It's good to see you. Doing great. Awesome to see you. We're, we got a bunch of fun watches on the table, beers in glass at uh, one of our favorite local jaunts, and uh, we get to hang out and record an episode together. It doesn't really get much better than that. Yeah, what is this anyway? Is this a bottle shop or a watering hole or a coffee place or what are we calling this? this yes, is... yes, and yes. Yeah, this is Vendome in Arcadia, kind of Arcadia booze stalwart here in this part of San Gabriel Valley, uh, very friendly people here. And we are recording again as we did about a year ago in the library room. So this is basically all of the good, you know, the high end, the uh, allocated wines. So, you know, think of, uh, you know, Screaming Eagle and Opus and what else do we have? We've got some some of the pricier Dow offerings. Kindness. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Heights. Some uh, vintage Gergich, a lot of good stuff. So, but yeah, we get a little bit of an echo, but that's a price I'm willing to pay. Yeah, no, the the ambiance, the decor, and when I say decor, I mean you know wine racks is awesome. Yeah, it smells great. We got like you know wooden crates in here and wooden bottle bottle racks, and uh, we're next to the cigar room. So yeah, yeah, and we this is just sort of a fun aside we they were willing to let us record in the humidor but the humidor is just small enough that we can't quite get tables and our equipment and stuff in there without literally being like shoehorned and maybe a can of wd-40 or something like that but um yeah it's fun being in here i i just realized this upright i would love to take this and have this at home this is cool. So yeah. we're looking at this. It's a Lucha Tequila sort of uh, store activated, store activation shelf. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> at the bottom it says, join the fight for good tequila. Yeah. That, that resonates. It's, it, it really does for this show, doesn't it? I'm actually getting a picture of this right now just because that is so cool looking. Maybe we can put that up later but yeah bottom line is we are uh, we are here after a day's work recording an episode it's been a couple weeks since our last episode with mike stockton i think we started what the guys on whiskey and watches came to call stockton week love it i mean have you not like you know mike stockton week yeah yeah um it's yeah just a lot of fun and thanks to those guys mike and balash for uh shouting us out on fratello that was kind of cool yeah, and they do such a great job on their own pod. It's become part of my regular rotation, so it's always fun uh, to hear our pod referenced on their pod. Yeah, you know what? I feel like kind of like a big deal. Yeah. I don't have my my apartment does not smell of mahogany, but this room does kind of. And yeah, I feel like very legit now. So thanks to those guys, we are going to have to make good on our threat to have Balash on to talk about you know uh, uh, high end sneakers and that part of the culture i know nothing about that except that it is a big thing until you get your new air forces that's right yeah yeah <laughs> so i i i won't make a big deal of it but um because i don't i don't know enough about it but there was like a little corporate giveaway where we could have uh, everybody in the organization get to order you know a custom uh, pair of air force ones so I don't know if that's the kind of thing that I'll get and look at and keep in a box or if I'll actually wear them and get them dirty or what. We'll see. We might, have to, we might just change our, our intro music to what's the uh, the Air Force One song. Is that Nelly? I feel like Buzz would know. Buzzy would know. The you know, I bet he would. I bet he would. Or Stockton or Balash, right? So we'll, I'm sure they'll tell us on the back channel, on the, uh, the bat phone or whatever. So anyhow, um, that's kind of enough of the small talk, man. Why don't we just get right into it? What do you have in the glass today? Drink check. Um, so the cool thing about Vendome is obviously not just their bottle selection, you know, to take home uh, wine spirits, beers, but they have a tap room, which is, almost, I feel like unheard of. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know another place that has one like that. Um, I can't think of one either. I no. mean, even some of the, you know, the big heavy hitters among like beverage retailers in this part of town don't do that. No. I, don't, I don't think even in Pasadena, Everson Royce used to do that, but yeah, that's right. I don't think they do it anymore. Okay, good point. I think and COVID did away with that. We've, we've even mentioned this before too, but there's even, you know, small bites and, and uh, you know, coffee and, and other stuff. So this place is <laughs> really a treasure, but uh, we, we get to enjoy some good local beers while we're recording today. Thanks to our friends here at Vendome. I have in the glass I've been on a little bit of a Bottle Logic kick, and I, I blame you mostly for that. Yeah. Uh, bottle Logic, based out of Anaheim, um, they make a pretty big range of beers. Sometimes they get pretty pricey, barrel aged, barrel conditioned, you know, uh, all the way down to some pretty accessible stuff you can just throw back over a weekend. 
Um, this would probably fall back toward the uh, that that latter end there. But this is their um, Hanamachi Japanese Black Rice Lager. It's clocking in at five percent, and and funnily enough. Uh, the proprietor here mentioned the last time that we recorded <laughs> might have been the last time he had a black logger in and i i also got that then so he noticed the trend and i was impressed by his photographic memory uh, yeah i was also really impressed by the fact that he remembered that not just that you had a black logger but that it was an ogopogo and that is what i have in the glass so and we've we did a quick recording at ogopogo brewing um, we did we was, recorded the uh, intro to the F1 episode yeah. that you were jumped on with, with um, Again, that part was, of Whiskey and Watches and Josh Shanks. And, and um, uh, Mr. Pendolfo was Mr. on that. Pendolfo. Yeah. That's so that's super cool. Shout out to all those guys, by the way. But this is Ogopogo Brewings. I hope I'm saying this right. I think it's Beheki. They have got some oddball names there, mostly, I think, related to, you know, things that go bump in the night. And the, uh, the Beheki, this is a West Coast IPA, which is a little odd because to me it tastes more like a pale ale. It is not super hoppy. It doesn't have that like astringency. But uh, 6.5 is the, uh, the ABV on this. It's got a real good clear color, very drinkable. And this is the sort of thing where unlike most IPAs, I usually would start a session with friends or if I'm watching a game or something, I'd, I'd have a big beer first mm -hmm. and then move into something lighter. I would pour a second one of these. This is very approachable for somebody like me. This is a mat approved IPA. There are not many of them. Uh, I shouldn't say mat, not many of them, but like you said, you're sort of a one and thank you, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, you know, there's something about really heavily hopped beers, you know, when they get really crazy, you know, like the Dogfish 120 or something like that, then it's a little off-putting. But also, um, if I, I notice if I have a second beer, even if that's all I have, I go straight to headache sometimes. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I wrongly attribute that to the hoppiness or whatever, but... Yeah, it's just an interesting phenomenon, and I try to avoid it when I can. But this beer is great, and I'm happy to have it here. Yeah, no, two great pours, great ambiance, and um, yeah, doesn't get much better than this. Yeah. Uh, what are you kicking off the new year? Yeah, well, I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off, but what do you have on the wrist? So I walked in, I brought a couple things, because I just haven't had a chance to show you in person all of them. Nothing is earth-shattering, but all fun stuff, of course. I walked in with the Oris Big Crown Pointer Date. 80th anniversary, that's the bronze with the green dial. Everybody, most people are probably familiar with that one. But I did, uh, thanks to our friends at Oris, um, I've been able to uh, put the bronze bracelet on it. When I bought it, it was, they, were, they, didn't, they weren't yet making the bronze bracelet. And um, I started to see, when it got released on the bronze bracelet, I got a lot of FOMO. Thought, oof, that's good. that looks really good, I gotta do it. Saw our friend uh, Spence, you know, get one on 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 his uh, Fratellorus. Looks yeah, fantastic. That looks uh, good on that one. A couple other friends, you know, were picking up a, a, a Big Crown Pointer Dates bronze on bracelet. Now that they were available at retail, and so was finally able to get the bracelet on on this one, and it's it's spectacular. I love it. It's uh you know entirely bronze construction, of course, except for you know the the, the internal clasp components, which are stainless, uh, but they're completely hidden. Um, screws in, in, in this bracelet and um, what would you call this? One, two, three, like a six or seven link bracelet maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Jubilee adjacent, isn't Jubilee it? Jubilee adjacent. I think yeah, I mean, place. it's, um, I, I think they would probably blanch at me saying that out loud, but that's kind of what it strikes me as. And I've got to give them props. I, well, there's a couple things. First, I did worry for you when you put this on because your the watch head Yes. Had already had two years a, a of... good head start on the patina, yeah. But the patination now, I mean, you can tell there's a difference. Yeah. The bracelet still looks a little more overtly coppery, mm -hmm. um, but they're they're close. Like this is not an eyesore with two radically different metals. I think the other thing that's really great about this bracelet is a the fitment is really good. It looks like it lays really nice and fat, flat, fat. What did I say? But um, the fact that yeah, you can adjust with screws. You have five. Yeah, five holes for adjustment. Mm -hmm. um, twin trigger. It just seems like it's a really, really well executed bracelet, and it seems it's a natural for this watch. I yeah. like it a lot. I agree. I had the original concerns about mix matching the the patina was something I wasn't sure to to see either. And then you know, watching a few other folks get it going, I think it catches up quickly, and it'll it'll probably completely even out at some point. So that's on the wrist, and then. Um, yeah, what's on your wrist? So 
you know, the past like week or two, there's been a lot of hubbub. Blancpain has released the first. I mean, they came right out the shoot, didn't they, in 2023? Um, they actually dropped the what I think is going to be one of a few. I think they're saying three, three different flavors of anniversary watches for the Blancpain 50 Fathoms. And I, I personally, I mean, I like the watch. I think it's highly disappointing that they're going to be so. Um, so limited. I mean, I guess eighty a piece or less, maybe something like that for each each basically major sort of geographic market. Mm -hmm. EMEA I think gets like seventy or eighty, and you know maybe the Americas and then Europe I think gets yeah. you know seventy or eighty. So not a lot of them. Um, on the plus side to there, of course, is the exclusive yeah exclusivity is maintained, which mm -hmm. is you know cool for the people who are interested in that kind of thing. It is a pretty pricey watch, um, but it's. I think it, it's cool. I mean, it is going to sell. It's going to be really neat. And that is, uh, it's a family of watches that I like a lot. And sort of with that in mind, I have my own Blancpain. This is the 50 Fathoms Bathyscaphe. And I think the Bathyscaphe just kind of hues a little closer to the original ethos, you know, both in terms of size. It just doesn't have that. I think we've mentioned this with Stockton. I've yeah. probably mentioned it before. As much as I really like the garden variety 50 Fathoms, to me, that watch is like really, really great, but then they just kind of inflated it a little bit. Like they left the <laughs> the air hose in a little too long. Yeah, so it's, it just looks kind of marshmallowy, y um, and basically a little bit too far into the luxe realm. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd be super happy to have one, and if, if money was no object, I'd have one of these and one of those, probably a blue one of those. But um, yeah, this is my... This is sort of my Blanc Pond Diver, and there are many like it, but this one is mine. I love the dial, and I have it on the Erica's original MN, uh, the stretchy strap. And you know, if if you pay a little premium, you can get basically one with the you know the uh, the numbers and the webbing and stuff like that. It looks a little bit more faux mill spec, and yeah, super cool. It's got that you know my my trademark kind of green. Olive drab, sage, NATO color, whatever. It retains some of that. We may change the name of the podcast at some point to the green NATO. The sage NATO. Yeah. The sage NATO. <laughs> That's even more esoteric. Yeah, the sage NATO. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's that's what is on the wrist today. Yeah, super happy with that watch. No, it's great. I love that one. I think I particularly like that combo. Um, that, that thing just hits hard. Hits hard. But yeah, no, a lot of fun stuff lately, you know. Um, Everybody, oh, go ahead. I was... Oh, no, go ahead. Well, Fish. I was just about to say, you know, we just kind of hit on the new Blanc Pond and everybody and their brother, I think, has talked about that watch and most of the others, but there are still a few things we want to kind of acknowledge before going on to our main topic, so... Yeah. What, anything else new in, your, in, in sort of your watch world? Well, the one that I actually kind of wanted to ask you about this to see, because I mean, I think this literally came out this morning and I did not have a chance to look at it too much. And we just spoke very briefly, but the, the Zodiac X, Zodiac with whatever, um, the rowing blazers. Did you see that collab? Is that a Harry's Bar watch? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then I think that's that's pretty on brand for, for this podcast to be, you know, appreciating that. Yeah, well, so I, I confess, I mean, I have um, a little bit of informed ignorance, TM, in that, I you know, I'm familiar with the idea that there is a Harry's Bar and that it's a thing. But I've heard so many different variations on it. I'm like, which is the Harry's Bar? Like, is it, it's a pretty generic name. I know it's a, a historic place. I've my understanding is that it's in Venice, but I've heard New York. I know we had one here in LA and maybe still do, but I, I don't know that they're the same Harry's bars by any means. Do you know much about this and what it's in reference to? You know, I, I believe it's part of the empire of Harry's bar that began in Venice. And then I think now is based out of New York, but they continue to operate okay. several of those. So Venice, I'm, someone's going to correct us if we're wrong, which we'd be happy to, to, to be, to be informed of, but I believe Venice was the original, and at some point, maybe New York is now sort of the epicenter of Harry's Bar headquarters, if you will. I wonder if that's a bit like 
what my perception is of this is before my time and certainly before yours but do you remember ever hearing about something called trader vix yeah i do know trader vix actually i know okay. of it i should say yeah and, well, and they have a branded line of you know mixers and stuff like that but yeah. my understanding was there were a couple of them a few of these trader vix outposts and i think you know maybe like new york la london kind of thing exactly the hot spots right the cocktail scenes the hot spots the yeah. you know upscale up dining okay so it's Maybe it's like that. I'll have to look into it, but it looks like it's a cool watch. I mean, the, the colorway is certainly punchy. What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, this is like a green that you're not going to see in a lot of other places. It's very saturated, and so it's it's popping. It, it To me, it has the Rolling Blazers look, and I'll, in full disclosure, I actually was not super familiar with Rolling Blazers until those Seikos dropped a year or so ago. Yeah, I think the first ones were two to three years ago. Two to three years. And, um, you know, there was a, there's been, I think, two, maybe three rounds of them. They're, they're pretty cool. And certain ones are, you know, ones that you see maybe more frequently. You know, the one with kind of the, the racing yeah, the bezel, the rally mm-hmm. kind of a look. Um, and that's a callback to another dive watch that they had back in the 70s. This looks completely different in that it's got, you know, totally different design language. It's, it's actually, I'm just realizing now that it's a, uh, an hour gradiated bezel or yeah. graduated bezel. So that's uh, without intentionally, you know, looking to do so, you could get one of those and get yourself a poor man's GMT. Yeah, it's cool. And again, I think they've been, my guess is that Eric Wind, um, ironically, who uh, our last guest was hanging out with and came home with a party, uh, a party gift, party yeah. favor. <laughs> Mike was up visiting with Eric. He's been sort of, a, I want to say, one of the collaborative forces in bringing together rolling blazers and, and these collaborations with you know the different brands so i think eric's had his hand in this one too which is which is pretty neat you're seeing some cohesiveness from a couple of the different releases um it's cool i mean zodiac you yeah, know keeps on keeps them keeps on keeping on they're, they're doing fun stuff amazing stuff on our back channel you know communication with the guys from whiskey and watches and, and wrist cheese i think it came up about a week or so ago that like 2022 was the year of Zodiac, it feels like, you know, in terms of, I think, popular awareness of that brand has just off the charts now. And I've seen so many people with these watches, you know, in the, the IG sort of ecosphere that I had not seen before. And maybe it's that sort of that recency bias that we talked about where once you become aware of something, you start seeing it everywhere. But they build such a great product and the, the pricing is very fair. Yeah. And, yeah. It and is. Mike Pearson's a great dude, so I like having that kind of that communication channel. It's, yeah, it's cool. No, it's super cool. So yeah, it's a really cool watch. You know, big fun. You know, green dial. It's got the. I guess Harry's has this kind of signature. You know, uh, uh, branding of these two bar flies. You know, and okay. So it's got the bar that's what that now. is. Yeah. yeah all right. All right. Cool. I was wondering about that motif. Yeah, very on brand for the spirit of time. That's for sure. Right on. Well, hey, speaking of Spirit of Time alums, you started to tease this before I hit play or hit record. Um, what is going on with uh, your buddy with Haim? Yeah, so Haim Watch Company has been teasing um, some new stuff. And they just started releasing the actual dial um, dial images of like the new L2 chronograph. Okay. Um, we've had Zakir on. Actually, uh, Josh from the Out of Time podcast sort of co-hosted that with me. That's right. So I didn't get to meet him. I feel like I'm slightly out of the loop there. We'll have to fix that if he comes back around through. Yeah, for sure. Ooh, that looks neat. So um, we were at where were we? Salazar in Frogtown. We had good... We kept giving Zakir a hard time. He's from Chicago. It was cool for LA standards. And uh, our, our guy was just freezing, and me and Josh were giving him a hard time because we said, you're the, you're the Chicago guy here. But uh, anyway, so this is the, the L2 chronograph. You're looking at it now. Now, I think they're calling uh, pink gold this dial uh, color variation. Um, this is pretty striking. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very beautiful dial. Yeah, so again, I, I would say definitely like leans on the pink side, right? Definitely more salmon than gold, in my, to my opinion. Um, but what strikes me the most is the blue. It almost looks like if you've ever seen anything in steel that is heat blued. Yeah. It's got that, you know, that, that shade of blue, Breguet numerals for all of the, uh, you know, the cardinal, you know, one, two, three, four, five, et cetera. Well, I guess, you know, three and nine are, are exempted because they're, they're blocked out by the, the subdials for the chrono. 
but yeah, that looks really, really cool. And I just kind of, I love the way it says Chicago, Illinois at the bottom. It's sharp. I mean, he, yeah. we, we thought, you know, I thought the, the last round of, uh, of, of drops that he did were all really, really quite well done. Um, big fun colors and, and uh, I think they're doing it kind of the right way. But um, so congratulations to those guys. I think there's more information on their page as, as it trickles out. Basically, been giving sort of like component previews, showed some case angles, just dropped the dial uh, images uh, just a couple days ago. So um, I'm sure I, we'll see more information about it. I've seen the previous dials. Everything is well executed. Everything looks good. I think just depending on the handset that goes on it, that's mm -hmm. what I would want to see. Yeah, yeah. And how right well integrated. No um, but that dial to me with the, again, the, that sort of the blued numerals, that looks like that's the one to have. I agree. I'm, with you. I'm tentatively saying that's the one to have. It looks like, unlike anything else, really, and I hesitate to qualify it by saying at that price point. But I mean, it. This makes me think of you know watches, frankly, that are much much more expensive. Yeah, or then even other darlings like the Baltic. You yeah, um, they've just been getting a ton of love for good reason. Um, but I don't know that there's a lot others in that space with the styling and so i think it just gives more options at a, in a cool place this is sort of like a dressy chrono um i'm you know i'm sure i think people have been talking about this for a long time and you know we don't make a lot of sort of uh bold statements and it's not bold by any stretch but i think dress watches are back you know yeah this that's is a dress chrono in my opinion and i think dress watches in general are definitely in vogue you know there are certain watches i think where you can kind of call them if not dr dress watches per se then maybe like a gents watch or something like that and mm -hmm. that seems to me like his take on something like say a you know maybe two generations back iwc portuguese yeah you know where it's um it it's got like a sporting vibe but it's definitely uh you know it's, it's a chronograph for real yeah. And, you know, two registers here. He just has it at three and nine, not 12 and six. Yeah, that's exactly right. So keep an eye on those uh, on Heme Watch Co. And uh, we'll learn more about when these drop, which should be, I imagine, if not soon, then definitely information on when and how to get them. Yeah. Well, the only other thing, and I think it, um, I'm a little surprised that we haven't heard too much about it yet. Although, I, you know, I suppose there's probably content that we haven't listened to or seen. But the, uh, the Oris... These are always a mouthful, right? The big crown pointer date, but the the watch with the hand cranker, the new in-house hand wind. Yeah, I think they're calling it the big crown caliber 473. Yeah. So the just the pictures that we saw, you know, that came through in the press release, it, I would have thought that this was, you know, a movement from something like Panerai or something like that. I love the fact that they've got, and I'm no, I don't hate having a power reserve on the front. But power reserve is a great idea for, I think, for a premium hand wine watch. And sometimes it is hard to integrate on the front of the watch. They have it on the back. That's a great touch. And just the overall architecture of the movement looks really, really like high spec. I, I think it's a fantastic watch. Money, no object. I'm buying that watch today. You know, that's it's so great. I agree. And, and you know, I think... As Aura started, you know, not started, I've been doing, it just takes, you know, years and years and years of R&D and, but as you know, we saw their in-house calibers start to be deployed, you knew they were going to find their way throughout the line, right? And yeah. so now you're seeing it not only throughout the line, but in different ways now, right? So now, like, you know, now we have a manual line, now we have, of course, the automatics. And so, um, it's super cool. I love the initial colorway they dropped. It's this sort of teal not super saturated don't think Miami dolphins but maybe sort of turned down you know slightly muted but not a lot yeah it's a kind of a cross between like a teal and like a, a slate blue mm -hmm. you know um not quite a french blue i don't know what they would call it but it's a really good looking blue that they do on dials and you know, this is that uh the deer leather strap that they use i know um, i yeah i would like to i, I definitely have handled one before but i need to i would like to handle one again next time we see our friends at feldmar um just to get the, sort of a, a good feel for sort of the pliability and suppleness it's been a little while you know what would be interesting to see is if you could source one of those straps for a rectangular that's a good question because they're supposedly they, they do feel different yeah you know from a conventional leather strap um I don't know that I've had the opportunity, but I remember feeling a significant difference. And, if, you know, maybe for all we know, it was just not branded that way on the rectangular, but maybe it was the, the deer hide. 
We should but, go back and look. It definitely that that rectangular strap I think is an improvement on the strap that came on my Big Crown Pointer D. Yes, it was a very it was a, a much more pliable, soft softness to that strap. It was nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, everything about this watch to me just screams you know class. Go anywhere, do anything. As always, like a lot of people, I probably wish it had a little bit more power, or not power reserve. Power reserve is phenomenal on this. It's quite good. A little more water resistance. I don't know how you necessarily do that sometimes in a hand-wound watch. I think you have to really, you know, have gaskets and, and everything like that that are good in that regard. But um, overall, I mean, that thing to me is a slam dunk. I, yeah. I love it. I'm, I'm looking at it now across the table, like on your uh, the image that you have up on your screen. And... Ooh, I I like it. Yeah, yeah, right. And you know, not every watch needs to be you know submersible to you know the depths of Mariana Trench or whatever. But I think you know the Big Crumb series, uh, the Big Crumb Pointer Date series. Excuse me. I think in general, you know, the fifty meters water resistance. So I would like to see that dialed up slightly. It would be nice. Um, but yeah, no, the the tip on the on the pointer, um, you know, is contrasted really well. It's got, big bright red you know contrast against that teal uh dial um overall another winner from oris yeah totally well speaking of oris and other winners i mean let's get on to the main topic right this is kind of our review our breakdown we were fortunate enough um through josh and vj to get our hands on not one but two of the oris aquas um, this is the oris aquas date 36.5 I have in my hand the like the pink dial variant, and you have, I believe, the Aegean blue. Yeah. Yeah, we we've each spent time with. We've had these for about each. a month. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got a chance to see each of the colorways. They're different, obviously. I mean, that was understatement sure. of the century, right? But I mean, um, just in terms of the the way that the dial interacts with light, it's not just a function of what color is what, but I think each color had its own reflective properties. It's something I noticed immediately when, you know, I had the pink first and then and then we switched out and I got the blue and within, you know, just picking up the first time, I said, oh wow, okay, this is a different a different uh, interaction with, with light that this dial does. Yeah, I think that's accurate, right? And it would be interesting to see the green. There is a green version of this that's the probably very, on, right? very similar to the, oh. the million oysters. Yeah, the, what do they call it? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I think they call it seafoam green, right? So I mean, is it like a lighter? But it's probably, it is right. I'm sure you're right. It's similar to the... Yeah, it's it's got to be something like that. We just weren't able to get all three, and that's fine. I think two is uh, an embarrassment of riches for a little podcast like us. This is cool. But you're right. The the pink to me looks like it has less reflectivity, you know, with the underside. Um, yeah, just a very fascinating thing. This is my first kind of real experience with Mother of Pearl dials outside of an AD, getting to kind of live with one for hours at a time, days at a time kind of thing. And when I had the opportunity to get the pink watch from you, again, we kind of switched mid-cycle, right? I wore this watch quite a bit myself. I also set it up so that my wife could wear it and she wore it. And, you know, she ended up having really good impressions with it. Although it's funny because my wife's not a watch person. This is a relatively small watch, right? But this is steel and it's automatic. You know, it's not a tiny little, you know, very lightweight, plasticky quartz movement. You know, she almost, she complained of the weight. And I'm, I'm thinking this is almost a featherweight compared to, you know, a big dive watch or something like that. But, uh, yeah, just super, super cool. I would say sort of pros and cons on this. First and foremost, I mean, the single biggest pro relative to the feature set in this, you know, you've got a good loom on this. This is an automatic movement with date. It's got a size that I think is becoming more relevant, you know, 36.5 in a an actual dive watch format, right? This thing does not dumb down the, you know, the water resistance specs. It's got a full-size crown, which I really appreciated. Um, as an aside, I had an opportunity. Do you remember I, I got to go kind of long-term hands-on with that Enicar Sherpa Divette? Mm -hmm. I do remember and that. And this is a, a, you know, basically a 60s vintage, 36-millimeter dive watch. And that watch, as cool as it is, it's so it's such a neat object visually and kind of the history of watches. But just tact from a tactile point of view, it is so fussy. Yeah. 
you know, the, the bezel was really, um, you know, I'd say not finicky, but it was a, a bi-directional bezel. It was hard to kind of grasp a tiny, tiny crown. Everything about it was just super dainty. And maybe that's just how they built them. But here, this is like, yeah, this is easy. The, the crown compares pretty favorably to something like, you know, a 41 millimeter Seamaster, you know, and it's, uh, it's very easy to use. You get good bezel action here. And I think it's a neat touch. It's just a little bit more of a, I think, kind of an upscale wearing experience. You know, the way they did the handset, the mother of pearl, and then the fact that the bezel, I presume that the bezel insert is a like a media blasted steel. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's got gradations all the way around 15, 30, 45, and then five minute, you know, sub kind of hash marks. But it's sort of like, Again, don't want to compare this to something else, but something that everybody knows, which would be like maybe the Necton Seamaster yeah. um, or the, you know, the uh, America's Cup Peter Blake dialed Seamaster. Yeah, the, the Yacht Master. And the way that, you know, the the bracelet is done, you've got the, the outer links are polished. The center links are a little bit more kind of muted and brushed. This just, to me, feels like you know, somebody who wants like that dive watch format, but it's something that frankly just looks a little bit blingy and is at a very reasonable price. I mean, these are not too dear at all. I, 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 I think all those points are, are, are very, very strong. You know, I think the mix of finishing is, is really interesting. You've got mostly brushed surfaces with that, like you said, that, you know, bead blasted, media blasted bezel, which is also reflected in the crown. I believe, and then you have you know that mix of polish and, and brush in the bracelet. There's just a lot to like here. Um, the star of the show is obviously the mother of pearl, right? So to your point, I don't think a lot of people would maybe initially consider mother of pearl. You know, in fact, growing up, I, I kind of would it, it almost envision that as a grandma's watch. Yeah, totally. That's something that you just think. I mean, it's it's in the name. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. Um, but Oris has proved in a few different iterations now that it is interest, not that it is, it, it always has been, but it is interesting again for maybe a greater audience. It is more unisex than maybe some people would care to remember or would even have given enough thought to. And, and it's super dynamic and interesting, right? Like it's just, it's, there's a, there's a level, level of, of sort of, you know, they're dynamic. And I don't think you're gonna get that from a lot of materials. Spoiler alert, we're gonna probably talk about sort of dial materials soon. Um, I think this sort of piqued our interest and there's been some other things that have popped up recently that we either currently have or are soon to have. Right. And it's just, just like we did the, you know, interesting and sort of alternative, you know, materials and watchmaking with Chase about, you know, 10 or 12 months ago. Now we're, we're, we've been thinking about dials a lot and I think Oris has already been doing that and it's proved, you know, it's proven out in, in sort of this Aquas line. Well, let me ask you, because you, I think you hit the nail on the head by saying that this, um, this design is, I don't think I recall seeing it written down anywhere or that anybody said anything like this to us, but it seems pretty obvious to me that the design brief included making something that is vaguely unisex here. Mm -hmm. Do you think, and Mother of Pearl, I would not have thought would be like that, but clearly with the colors that they've got, there's some potential. Do you think that they all land equally in terms of being you know, having the same unisex appeal? Um, my, my, my very personal opinion, no. I think the, the blush pink is very, in my opinion, very clearly, you know, f more feminine. It's a soft pink. Um, it's not like a very vibrant pink, like maybe the Nomos uh, pink that came out not that long ago on the, on the club. You know, I don't even know what they call that pink. This is a, it's blush pink. I mean, it's, it is what it is. I mean, if you don't know what blush pink is, just Google it, right? And so, but that being said, and, and the seafoam green is, is also, I think, a little bit more on the pastel-y side, where this Aegean blue is pretty, the Aegean blue is pretty down the line. I would call this truly unisex if, you, if we really wanted to be, if we're really trying to cut lines. But, but in my opinion, I think what we've learned over the last two, three years is that dial color alone is not really a demarcation for whether or not a watch is unisex. You know, I think it's, 
you know, any watch, quite frankly, is unisex. Obviously, the way they're, you know, designed and who wears them is another story. Um, but the line, this Aquas line, Mother of Pearl specifically, I think does a really nice job of, of kind of playing to both, you know, all kinds of customers. That being said, the lug width, partly in due probably to the 36 and a half inch diameter, is small. Yeah, and there's, there's, I think I kind of put up a little uh, video when we first got these. And that was my observation was the, not so much the lug width, but that it starts out small, you know, when you think of the lug width, but then the bracelet itself, it, it's got a pretty decent little taper to it. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get down to the end, it, it is a little on the dainty side. Yeah. So I think, I think most people could wear this, but I mean, if you're genuinely somebody who's, you know, got like an eight inch wrist, that might look kind of small. Yeah, and, 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 and then I agree with you. So you, me, and sort of the general, you know, wrist wearing, watch wearing public, I think this is more than adequate. Folks who don't dip down below 40 still, I think they're missing out on a lot of things, these included. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, if you were, if you had an eight inch, eight inch wrist, you probably wouldn't wear, you know, probably wouldn't wear a 36 millimeter roll uh, Explorer either. So. Yeah, maybe not. That's the point, I guess, too. Yeah. So I, I, Agree with you. I mean, I think um, without putting too fine a point on it, I think the blue and the green are more specifically like unisex. The pink is definitely more overtly pink. I found myself wearing it quite a bit and did not feel like I'm wearing a, you know, a woman's watch. Uh, but in terms of, so, I mean, it was good for me, but I think the overall appeal, and I bet like our friend bro would like this. Yeah, no, I've, been, I've been pink. I've been curious about a pink watch for a while now. So this was fun to have this yeah. on hand because you know you get a sense of what the wearing experience is. I, I we just talked about a pink you know hand watch. I you know the Zeniths that just came out. They look fantastic. There's been a number of really cool hot you know yeah. I say hot you know in in a, in a sort of descriptor not hot pink but hot pink watches. So I've been super curious and it was fun to really be able to put it on you know and, and wear it around in sort of the day to day. Yeah, I think if I had any um, any observation about that is uh, the different colors. The other thing that's sort of fun about this, and it's definitely a secondary kind of consideration, but the dial tones, there's something about a not a dial that has a unique color, but it's not flat. Mm -hmm. And as you said, this really, you know, it, it's a very dynamic surface. So in different lighting conditions, it looks different as you move it around on your wrist. But the other thing is it really, the different colors... Um, do a lot with different skin tones. So I have, you know, my kids, one, my wife is, you know, definitely more olive complected and that pink watch on her looked so cool. Oh, the blue one did too, but that looked like amazing. And then, you know, one of my daughters, same thing. You know, I have one that's, you know, got complexion a little bit more like me and then the other takes after her mom. Everybody in the family basically tried these watches and that pink watch in particular, um, if if you've got like that skin tone, man, it just looks so cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I have a not to switch too much of a pivot before we put a, a fine point on it, but I've got the Moon Swatch Jupiter here. We've been kind of talking about it on, like you said, on some of the threads, and I had it on sort of a tan suede uh, two stitch strap, and it looked kind of cool um, on its own. Yeah. But the minute I put it on my wrist with my my complexion, like you said, my skin tone, it literally looked like everything just melted together. And it was it was not really that appealing anymore. Yeah, well now you've got it on sort of this blaze orange, it matches the handset. You know, it's a little bit more kind of um, what's the word? It's like, you know, more of a, a good contrast. Yeah. But at the same time it picks up those colors. Do you mind if I try the pushers? Oh yeah, go for it. Um well, maybe we'll circle back on and put a pin in the, in the Aquas Mother of Pearl talk, but... Of course. You know, the Moon Swatch has been fun. I think, you know, a few people have asked me, you know, should I, I'm kind of over it now. Mike even said, Mike, on our last episode, I don't want to talk about it anymore. A few people said, I, I, I turned it down recently. Somebody said, I can get it for you. But I've had a few people say, oh, is it still worth it? If you think it's cool and you can get the color you like, get it. Oh, 100%. Just yeah, it. I know we kind of... Don't take any color. It's not worth that. You know, it's not worth it to be like, ah, I didn't even like this color, but now at least I have the model. Just wait for, if you get the one that you like, just get it. It's fun. It's cool. Yeah, I would take one. I'm, I'm not a hater. I think, I think they're pretty cool. They're, anyway, I feel like we've kind of gone off the jug handle and we need to kind of come back onto the turnpike. Um, 
What is there anything you didn't like about it? Because I have one or two things that I found were sort of surprising but nagging non-virtues. How about that? Um, yeah, you know, I think if, if you're putting things into a bucket, um, the, the the bracelet is in some ways integrated in, in so much as you're not popping it off and putting any old aftermarket strap on. Yeah. Um, the way the lugs are constructed, the way the bracelet fits back in, um, you're, you're not going to put another strap really on here. I imagine, I should have looked at this before, I imagine Aura sells rubber. You know, it's but, I know they do for the other sizes. I assume they do for the 36 and a half. That's a, a really good question. We probably should have checked that out because I don't know that they do make them that small either. And I would wonder, because I, I thought, okay, that would be a good thing to know. But I would wonder if like either a proprietary leather strap or rubber on this would actually accentuate the small size. It's an interesting point. Actually. You know what I mean? Because right. I mean, when you think about this, you know, is this is this even 16? 16 millimeters when you get down to the class. I'm not sure that it is. It's 14 probably is my guess. We don't have our, we don't have calipers or anything. Yeah, it's fairly small. And when you have like, you know, a, a piece of rubber getting down to that, that narrow, you know, I think it, it visually brings down the mass a little bit because it's not reflecting anything. But, you know, that's, um, again, for, for half of the demographic that might be wearing this, that's probably a non-issue completely. Yeah. You know, I'd agree. Who cares? Um, and then just staying on the bracelet, which is fantastic in its own right. It's a great bracelet. But you already mentioned this earlier. I think the general, you know, the lug width and and its taper does end up giving it a little, a little bit of a diminutive profile. Diminutive profile. You know, I might have, I might have liked a slightly larger bracelet, which I think probably is achievable with the case size. I'm guessing, but. Um, you know, whether or not that was part of the design conversation, not sure. Yeah. But for me, it would have lent more, you know, credence to the overall, you know, sort of unisex package. Yeah, I think it works really well. It like it it looks like it's a perfect sort of diminution of the the design language that they have for the larger watches. And the larger watches definitely one of their virtues is the fact that they wear smaller than they you know, the dimensions would suggest. So, you know, they're like 45 millimeter watches wear more like 42 and the 42s wear more like 40 or 39, which is great. But part of the the magic or the alchemy to achieve that is that fairly dramatic taper. Well, once the watch head now is like 37 and you keep the same, you know, relative taper, it does get small. But, you know, again, what are you going to do? I don't, I don't think that's too big a deal. One issue, and this is sort of my beef, because the bracelet is relatively small and the overall package is relatively small, the clasp is also kind of correspondingly scaled down, right? It's, okay. it's small. Now, it doesn't really lose much in terms of features or anything. It operates the same way. So it's twin trigger. It is really you know secure. You have three adjustment holes, which is certainly better than none or one. But, you know, it's not like four or five the way you would get on some others. The other piece of this is, and this is kind of a bummer, but when you look at this opened up, when you actually take a look at the clasp, it only gives you so much room. And I kind of complained about this before. I have a tiny wrist, but I have a pretty big paw, right? There, it, it doesn't open up enough to let me comfortably get my hand through, right, through the opening. And then, you know, be able to close the thing up and have it fit reasonably well. Like in order to get my hand through with no problem, I have to have the watch slightly more loose than I would like it. And if I have it, you know, at sized up to a way that fits the wrist well, I've really got to kind of, you know, basically stuff my wrist through this thing. But I think that is just a function of the fact that because it's a small clasp in terms of length, it's going to be correspondingly smaller in terms of how much it opens up you know, to allow your hand to pass through over the wrist. You know, that's an interesting point. So I'm, I'm holding right now my bronze um, pointed eight bracelet next to the Aquas bracelet. And they're actually constructed probably very similarly in terms of the, gla- the clasp. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the design. They're both fitted for my wrists. This is the blue, which I had most recently. And you have, I'd say, probably at least... A few centimeters additional additional uh, opening on my bronze. 
I think that's got to be the factor. Right? Do you see what I'm saying, I guess? Yeah, yeah. When you hold the two next to each other, it, it definitely looks like you're able to get a bigger, you know, meat hook basically through right. this, the bracelet on the larger watch. And I think probably also, you know, you get that's a good this, point. the it's watch, the watch head itself. Well, you know, the watch head itself, lug to lug this way, right. being bigger gives you a little more that's, that's circumference too. That's a fair point. You're starting from a larger yeah. diameter to begin with. Yeah. So it's, in terms of my fit, coming back to your question, like, do they offer this thing on a strap or, or Which whatever? Which they don't, I don't believe, at least not on the website. Okay. Then that would probably fit better for somebody like me, even though then it would get pretty small. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're, we're literally picking nits for that. The other thing about this watch that it's not a, it's not a flaw, but there is, um, I, I wish as cool as Oris is with some of their watches, like having a story, the, the Aquas family doesn't have much of an, a story for me. Like the Diver 65, the Pilot's watches, those watches to me, all there's something that resonates with me. And Aquas is much of a, a yeah, my impression is that Aquas is the vehicle that they use for their mainstream introduction of like the mainstream technologies and the goodies, you know, that they come up with, whether, you know, it's the quick detach or, you know, putting in the in-house movements and stuff like that. And I don't know what the, the, like the marketing story is. And I'll, I'll have to say, I'm, I'll hold up my hand and admit it. I'm a sucker for like the marketing stuff. You know, when I think of an explorer or a GMT master or a submariner or a sea master, you know, there's all there's this aura about them. I think it's cool that there's no baggage associated with Aquas at all. But part of the reason I think there's no baggage is there just there isn't a story for this watch yet. And I think it would be cool if there was one. Other than that, I mean, my impression is that this watch is a phenomenal watch. I absolutely would love to have this watch as like a shared watch for my wife and I. I probably will go with the rectangular for that, you know, to do that kind of duty. It, it's more to my wife's taste. And it's just, it's not another dive watch in my collection. But overall, I don't think you can beat this presentation. I don't know who else has a fully, like a functional, you know, with a dive bezel, screw down crown, real water resistance on a steel bracelet under 38 millimeters with the a absolutely killer dial that you get for the price point that Boris offers. I just, I don't, I don't think it's out there. No, no, I can't think off the top of my head. It's, it's cool. It's super cool. I think long story short, if you have not seen these, I think it's worth your time and energy and effort to go find them. Uh, if you're in the, um, if you're sort of in the space of wanting to find, you know, a diver or you want sort of a unique dial, I think these absolutely should be at or near the top of your list. And, um, and we're just, you know, I think we had a lot of fun with them. They're, and they're fun to photograph too. Yeah, they really are. Really, really fun to take pictures of these. Well, hey man, we are coming up on about 50 minutes. We, uh, we do both have a little bit of time constraint today. Why don't we skip to kind of our closing thoughts, any recommendations or anything that you've come across that you'd want to point people toward? What do you think? So I'm reading, and I say reading on on audiobook. First time I've ever done an audiobook before. Oh, I'm a, I'm I love audiobooks. I spend so much time in the car. You spend a lot of time in the car. I used to spend no time in the car. Well, I used to be on the train, but now I'm in the car. I like to read. I just find no time to read anymore. I can't yeah. sit down and read a book. But I have, like you said, you have that time in the car. And I just for some reason, never, anyway, never really gave it a consideration, even though I knew all about them, and came across a book that was released early in 2022 that I wanted to read and I just knew <laughs> that I was not going to be able actually let me back up the library didn't have a physical copy that's okay. what brought me here but they had an audiobook I'm like oh I've never checked out an audiobook from the library let's do it sure love taking the kids there by the way it's like an easy way such a fun easy way to kill a couple hours especially on like a rainy day and uh so I'm like, okay, I'll try an audiobook. And I'm like, well, I spent a decent amount of time in the car. I know I'm probably not gonna be able to read this thing, you know, physical copy anyway, and that's not gonna have the time or the energy. So I took out Chuck Klosterman's The 90s on audiobook. And Klosterman, I think, is a pretty well-known commodity, obviously. And this book has been out for 11 months. So I'm, I'm guessing many people have already read this. 
but I don't know where I came across it. Have you have you read this? this no, book? no. And in fact, I'm not familiar. The name is familiar to me, but I think from different because it's not a super uncommon name. I I don't think the context matches up. So tell me a little bit about it. So this is essentially a reflection on the '90s as a decade, and it's just re- it's just a really fascinating but also fun read to this point. I'm probably about three quarters of the way through, and. I mean, Klosterman is just weaving in and out of sort of pop culture, sports and athletics, politics, sort of bigger, broader, general, uh, general sociological, you know, perspectives and reflections yeah. down to psychology, down to literal, you know, flash in the pan, you know, only essentially the 90s, whatever, you know, to be represented in the 90s by XYZ. Right. Uh, name it, you know, a TV show, a particular product, a phenomenon. It's a really fun read. You and I talk about the 90s and, and sort of, you know, the, the 2000s and 90s and neo-vintage watches, but it's also just a time period I think that you and I appreciate. It's just a great, great read. It's not, I, I should have checked the page count. It's not insignificant, I don't think, probably because it's, it's ten, I think it's almost, the, the audiobook file is almost 10 or 12 hours. Okay. So it's got to be a pretty sizable, you know, um, page count. But um, the audiobook, audiobook is, is narrating really well. Um, and just, it gives you, you, you're vacillating between sort of like, oh my gosh, I remember that. Like that could only have been at this point in the nineties when this happened to, oh wow. When you step back 20 years later and start to think about what did that mean in terms of geopolitics or what did that mean to sort of, you know, general American life? Yeah. It vacillates between all of these things and it touches on sports and music and TV and movies. So you don't have to be a sport nut. You don't have to be a TV nut. You don't have to be a, a, a sort of, you know, armchair polit- you know, political commentary person. It's just sort of the every person's reflection on the 90s as told by Chuck Klosterman. Well, I will have to check that out because the 90s, I mean, I was born in the 70s, kind of came of age and became aware and self-aware in the 80s. But the 90s were really sort of the first decade of my adulthood, you know, and right. it's, you just are aware of a lot more things going on that kind of get written down in the permanent database. And everything from television and music and stuff like that. Although I generally don't like the music of the '90s, every once in a while I'll hear stuff and was like, "Yeah, that was that was that was good." You know, that was worthwhile. Or TV shows that you know we like. This was before the era of streaming, and basically you watched ABC, CBS, NBC, and if you're a pointy-headed person, maybe you'd watch, you know, your uh, local public television or whatever. And that was about it. You know, I mean, if you know, maybe you had HBO. Um, to the extent that HBO was a thing through the '90s, uh, and that's it. CNN. I'll tell you, you're 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 like the target demographic. I mean, you and me both, but I think particularly you because there's there's a transition. So the, the beginning, not to I'm not going to belabor this, and I'm not going to bury the lead, but the beginning essentially classifies a certain amount of people, and there's a small sliver of folks who not just can reflect on, oh, this is what it was before the internet and, and sort of all these things that we're so accustomed to now that have changed life dramatically, but lived life before that where none of that was necessary. Right. And now are so ingrained in your work, your day-to-day, your personal, is so entrenched in how we do things now. You Certain people have a very clear identity of pre-90s and post-90s and what it meant mm-hmm. that was very different than the preceding decades. You know, if you were a 25 year old in 1962 and a 25-year-old in 1982, lots of things were very different. But fundamentally, yeah, your life a lot more could, was the same. A lot more was the same than different. If you were a young person, you know, in 1995 versus 2020 or 2015, they're very fundamentally completely different. Yeah. They're there really was massive, massive, and it's hard to explain to somebody who didn't live it, yeah, what that means. But also, if you're if you're of a certain age, now even uh, even for people of a certain age have to really be online. Let's call it, yeah. But if you're of a certain age, you could still sort of, in some degree, stay out of that stuff if you really wanted to. You know, it's hard. I mean, I think you know, even the even something as simple as when I was a kid in the 1980s. You know, a a cultural thing was kids would walk around with their wallets with the little flip things, the little kind of cellophane things to hold pictures of your friends or yep. themselves or family yeah, or whatever. Every wallet came with one. And yeah, you yeah, exactly. Everything it always came with a picture. Of the yeah, picture you'd have that one. little cellophane thingy or whatever it was made of. 
And the idea is that is completely obsolete. And in 1995, you still had it, but you saw that it wasn't, you could see if you were paying attention, you weren't going to be having this much longer. You weren't going to need that for anything. And pretty soon, you know, things like Rolodex, um, you know, a, phone book. a typewriter, a, a Thomas guide. A Thomas guide. Yeah. Stuff like that. It, it, my kids don't know what that is. They, you couldn't even, they wouldn't be able to even understand it. Yeah. You know? And so that's part of the thing too, is it's just a generation. If you're, I don't know, between probably, I don't know how old you have to be to even have this conversation, but like 10 and let's just say 30 even, you don't even really comprehend what that was. No, I, I totally agree. And I get it. Okay. So I'm going to have to check this out because I do like these sort of cultural observation things. It's good. And yeah, Klosterman's a known commodity. So it's, you know. Good writing, good storytelling. Right on. Well, I also have a recommendation, um, and I was sort of gratified, and I don't know if that's the right word, but that you had not heard of this, but it's the movie Devotion. So this is a movie that's adapted from a book. Uh, the book came out a few years ago. The author's quite young, so I mean, you know, it can't be too, too old, but uh, Devotion is in the vein of, I mean, as a story, it's not even remotely close, but in terms of how they present it, it's very much like if you watch Top Gun and liked it, you will like this movie. Um, it's probably closer to the redux that they did of the movie Midway about four years ago, three years ago. Um, and essentially, Devotion is the story of the first, I believe he was the first, uh, black naval aviator in... Korea. So he fought in Korea. He was, you know, winged before that, but, you know, went and fought in Korea. And I won't tell the story too much, but it was an exploration of like sort of the events around his life. Um, there's a lot of flying. So it, it feels like Top Gun in that they did a lot of work with real F4U Corsairs. Um, they did a lot of work with the F8 Bearcats. These are old warbirds that are flying around in Southern California. We're blessed to have them around here. So they're available. Um, and most of the filming was done by a guy here in Hollywood. He's a famous aerial photographer, coordinator, stunt pilot guy named Kevin LaRosa. Kevin LaRosa did all of Top Gun and, you know, all of these sequences that you think are CGI or that are filmed like with a helicopter and a very long lens. It's like, no, it was an actual like a jet that he was right. And you can't see me here, folks, but I'm holding my hands together doing my, you know, fighter pilot hand maneuver. And, you know, he'd be flying like this with the F-18s. Well, same thing with the Corsairs. They built a mock-up of a, like a, you know, a late World War II era, you know, like an Essex-class aircraft carrier out in Georgia. This massive thing. And they, you know, filmed with the aircraft taking off and landing and stuff on it. Um, phenomenal movie. Great, great story. And it's really sort of the story of a time when this was kind of post, I think 1947 would have been, you know, the time when the the services were integrated, you know, by basically by Truman. And, you know, this would probably have been like the first, if you think of the timeline of the progression of a training of a naval aviator, it can be anywhere from one to two years. So it's probably like the first guy coming out of the training pipeline and what his experiences were like. No spoilers here. You know, if, if you're not familiar with the story, you know, I knew kind of going in. But um, and then the other piece of this is it's it looks at the relationship that he has with his his wingman, you know, who, if you can imagine, I mean, this is the the first African-American flying. So he is the only guy in his squadron. Any of his friends are going to have to be, you know, Caucasian dudes. Right. And how do they integrate in, the, in that sense of the word, you know, I'm making the air quotes, but then how do they get along and how these guys become like not just sort of work buddies or, or whatever that, you know, the Navy, you know, flying, daring dude, do or die kind of shit. Um, but, you know, they become like real friends and, and associates and stuff. And in real life, fast forward 70 odd years, you know, the the, the breakdown or the, the debrief on this whole thing is the two families are still very close. You know, so this guy, Tom Hudner, who's the, the other character, and Jesse Brown, um, you know, become very close in life. And now, you know, all this time later, you know, they, they still are very close together. But it's a very interesting story. It's one of these things that it's, it's very much eye candy for the aviation nerd. You know, you get the sights and sounds. Watch it on the big screen if you can. Um, just because of this, the sound design is awesome. Uh, and it's great. And there's a really cool 
watch-related Easter egg in there. And it's really, really clear. You know, sometimes they'll, you, you'll get a glimpse of somebody wearing a watch and it's like, oh, is that, is that, you know, what is that? Is that a, a Breitling or this or that or the other? At some point, you know, and I, I won't, this won't give away, you know, plot line. You really get to see up close, you know, kind of a hero shot of a Rolex uh, uh, oyster date precision. So kind of, you know, like a, if you want to think of it as like a, a proto date just from 1950, you know, and the, the protagonist is looking at the watch and it's got like this, you know, probably a four second long close up and then he turns it over and it's got a, a you know, an appropriate inscription on the back and you get three or four seconds there. Um, it was very much the way they did IWC and Top Gun. You got to see Rolex in this movie, you know, just maybe not as often, but it was super cool. So anyhow, highly recommended, um, you know, check that out. It's available to stream on Apple and probably will be available other places too. It is relatively new. I think, you know, the timeline between streaming release and theatrical release is, is pretty compressed now. Yes. But uh, I would be willing to bet that you can probably expect to see it you know, on more main mainstream services in like the next 30 days. But it's worth the whatever it costs. It's like, you know, four, 14 bucks to buy it. I'm going to buy it because, you know, it's got Corsairs in it. So anyhow, that's my suggestion. Devotion. It's pretty rad. Check it out. For your viewing and reading pleasure. Totally. Well, dude, it's been great to see you, man. I uh, I think we have a lot of stuff in the hopper. You know, this is technically our, I think this is episode 55 and our second episode of the new year. And there is a lot of sort of stuff brewing for the next maybe two months. So we have to see how things shake out. Should be fun. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff actually. Gosh, I even just forgot about a few things until you just mentioned it. So well, stay we, tuned, folks. Yeah, well, basically people. People whose people. schedules have to get ironed out, but a lot of interesting you know, potential people to chat with about watches and booze. On that note, yep. Cheers. let's make that the last sip. Take it easy.